We are in part two of our series entitled Christmas at City Church, and we're looking at the life and story of the birth of Christ. Last week, we looked at uh, a man named Zachariah, and today we're going to look at a man named John. We may, we may better know him as John the Baptist. So would you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verse 11, and then we're actually going to start in Malachi chapter 3. So you can start in Malachi chapter 3. And uh, if you're figuring out how to, where to find a Bible or whatever, digitally, they're completely free. You can download the app version, and uh, you can find reading plans and all types of stuff. There's hundreds of, maybe not hundreds, but dozens of illustrations and uh, translations that you can use. And so uh, if you don't have that app, you should download it. But would you open up your, your app there, click the button or turn the page, whichever, whether you got a Bible or an app. It's a Luke chapter 1, and then we're going to start in Malachi chapter 3. And I want to uh, spend just a few minutes here uh, setting up the context for the scriptures that we're going to look at today. Because as being people that are of the word, people that study the Bible, and I encourage you to study the Bible, there's nothing that will more transform your life than the word of God, not just being preached on Sunday, but when it's 6.45 in the morning with a sip of coffee, I'm telling you, there's something powerful about you diving in the word yourself, all right? Cool. And uh, anyway, there you go. I'm off my soapbox there. Read your Bible. Let it read you. And, uh, but, and context is important as we open up scripture. Now, let me tell you why context is so important. Let me give you an illustration. If we hung out today and I used the words, I said, hey, I want to buy you this house. All right? I want to buy you this house. Context becomes very important, doesn't it? Right? Because if we are in the doll section of Toys R Us, that's one thing. If we're in the neighborhood across the street, that's a whole not Same words, just context is different. All of a sudden, the words become a lot more powerful because of the context it's in. I think a lot of times we, we may know the narrative of the birth of Christ, but maybe we don't quite know the context and the power that comes in it. And so I encourage everybody here, whether you're a small group leader, parent, you just want to maybe learn how to tell this story of the birth of Christ a little bit better. I'm going to help you today, and I just want to walk through a little bit of context. In fact, I want to start at the very beginning, all right? In the beginning, there is God. God is real. This isn't a fictitious thing. We're not just doing this. This isn't a social club. God is real. And he created humanity. He created you. He created me. And he created us with a purpose. Not with a lack of purpose, but with a purpose, with intention. And he created us to first worship him, to serve him, to obey him, to follow his ways. Man and humanity have not done that. In fact, we have decided to worship ourselves. We not only see it in the landscape of scripture, but we see it in the mirror when we wake up in the morning, don't we? The truth is we don't naturally do and follow God's ways. We naturally do and follow our own ways. That is called sin. And sin separates us from God's righteousness. It separates us from God himself and it also mars our relationships with one another. If we pulled sin out of the planet, the planet would be perfect. I told my wife the other day, I said, if sin was out of our marriage, our marriage is perfect. And she, no joke, she said, our marriage is perfect. 
Like, that's amazing. I'm going to use that on Sunday. That's great. Thank you for that. But if we pulled sin out, there would be no decay. There would be no more injustice. There would be no disease. There would be no cancer. There would be no nothing. There, we, but as a result, we live in a sinful culture. We live in, we live in sin, right? And so that separates us from God. It jacks up our relationships. It's challenging for us. And in the Old Testament, God would send prophets. In fact, you know, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. There's an Old Testament that, test, that testifies of the Old Covenant. There's a New Testament that testifies of the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was a covenant of law. The New Covenant is a covenant of grace because of Jesus, our Savior. Right? So in the Old Testament, stay with me. Y'all with me? In the Old Testament, there are like a lot of prophets. In fact, there's quite a few books that are, that are named after the prophet that seem to speak uh, in those books. And God would use prophets who are prophets. They are people that are anointed and appointed by God to speak forth the word of God. Okay? He would use a prophet to speak to God's people to tell them to turn towards God, to repent of their sin, of their living for themselves and turn back to God. And so what you would see in the Old Testament is that God's people would sin, he would send a prophet, they would turn from their sin, and then after a while they would end up going back into their sin and God would send another prophet. And that is the cycle that we see over and over and over again in the Old Testament. If we're honest, that's the cycle we see in ourselves, right? We have these seasons where we, we hear a word, whether it's in the scripture or through a sermon or something. And so we turn, we, we, we turn towards God and thank God, God's, through Jesus, he's broken that cycle, by the way. We may still be in it, but the, but the punishment of it is gone, all right, because of Jesus. Can we give a clap for that? I know that just that, that's, a, that's a good place to clap. Thank God for that. Doesn't mean we need to go through the cycle again, but it means that those penalties for that cycle have been broken once and for all. Tell it to Alicia, it is finished. Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> Powerful. And so uh, I'm bringing you to Malachi because this is arguably the last words that are spoken in the Old Testament. All right? You there? Yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm reading either way. Malachi chapter three, verse one says this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, you need a savior. You're looking for a Messiah, and the Messiah is going to come, but first there's going to be a messenger that seems to prepare the way for the Messiah, all right? Now skip down, or flip over to the next chapter, Malachi chapter four. We're gonna read the last two verses in the Old Testament. He says, he prophesies, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And Malachi closes the Old Testament. Does anybody know what the first book is in the New Testament? Matthew, right? Did you know the page between Malachi and Matthew represents 400 years that God seems silent with his people? 
Now, what happened during these 400 years? Just context is important, okay? What happened during these 400 years is that, first of all, God seems to go silent, all right? We don't hear from him. He seems to take his hand off of his people. He seems to take his, you don't want God's hand coming off of you, by the way. His favor, his blessing, etc., seems to come off because they find themselves being overruled by other nations. And this happens for 400 years, y'all. That's a long time. That's longer than our country has been a nation. So get this. Let's just get the context for a second. God's people are in sin, and they seem to stay in rebellion. As a result of this sin, God takes his hand of blessing off of them. Now they are in a different culture that God never called them to be in. And they're starting to raise babies after raise babies after raise babies in a culture and a language that God never called them to be in. And what's interesting is that God's people are starting to get used to it. I think they might even argue that they actually think this is the best it will ever be. And all this while, they are in need of a savior. Can we relate? Can we not relate in our own country, in our own nation, our own culture, that we are now raising babies in ways that God never intended us to raise babies? That our children are learning from there. Apparently, we, we have a fatherless generation that's now raising the next fatherless generation. Never, never necessarily what God intended to be. And then what's interesting is that God breaks that, that 400 year, 400 years of silence. And he does it through a man, a boy by that name, of John the Baptist. So now let's read Luke chapter one. And by the way, John's name means the Lord is gracious. And I can't preach that even though I want to preach that so bad. Because if I do, we'll all start running around and we'll just run down the street because it's too crazy. (laughs) Next year. Okay, let's, let's hear a little bit about John. Luke chapter one, verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you. He says that to to John's parents. (laughs) Come on, parents, just God. Give us John's. And all of you that have John's are like, that ain't true. (laughs) And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. That's interesting. We'll talk about that. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Do you remember that same language in Malachi? Wow. 400 years before. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Didn't we just hear that in Malachi too? And all of this to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's life was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I've entitled this message this morning, Setting the Scene. Setting the Scene. Can we pray? Father, I just thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, especially as we just ended a a small group semester. God, I just thank you for every leader that sacrificially gave, invested into other people in this last small group semester. And Lord, I just, uh, I just pray blessing over them today. Father, I also ask that, Lord, if there be anybody in this room that is thinking about a small group next semester, maybe about leading one,
God, would you birth that in their heart? That it wouldn't just be something on a stage, but they would say, man, I want to take this next semester and invest into other people to be a blessing to others. And God, we just thank you for all the life change that's happened in the small groups these last, this last few months. Father, I, I ask that as we open up your word, God, that you would just do such a work in this house. God, I pray that it would be unique to this service specifically. God, let us never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I've, uh, I, got a, I have a confession to make today. Um, since our leader was just uh, given some words of vulnerability, of authenticity, I feel like I just, I've got to be authentic myself here today. I, I, I have to confess, I don't naturally approach Christmas with an unwavering optimism and joy. I just, I just don't. Uh, can anybody relate with me maybe? Okay, cool. We should not get in a small group together. All right. It won't be good. Okay. We need other people. We need people like Pastor Eugene. Pastor Eugene, he, I think he just wakes up in the month of December. He's like, it's the most wonderful time. Good morning, Glenn. Good to see you. Love being at City Church, living the dream, right? I mean, he, just, he loves it, you know, and I'm, sometimes I just wake up and I'm like, man, I'm just kind of mad at you because you're just so happy right now, you know? And uh, he just loves it. He loves giving presents, right? He just, he loves it, you know, and I just, I don't naturally, now I love obviously the narrative. I'll get into it. I need help. Like I need to go to the Christmas Eve service and all of it. Like I need it. Like it's good for me, uh, but I just don't naturally do that. All right. Uh, and, and let me tell you why, because my, my birthday is six days after Christmas. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm not bitter. You know, I'm good. How many of y'all have birthdays around Christmas? Anybody? All right. Okay. How many of y'all have kids with birthdays around Christmas? You're like, cha-ching. Yes. Right? Because you know what this means, right? You get gypped. Beautiful. Second row, man. I thought shafted, but gypped is excellent. That's right. You get shafted, man. Two for ones the whole nine, right? I, my birthday is December 31st, and I remember growing up, my parents were like, we'd be watching the ball drop. She's like, look, son, everybody's celebrating your birthday. <laughs> I'm like, well, what am I doing in a family room by ourselves when they're all over there? They're missing the main person. I'm right here. Hey, just rough. It's just rough, you know? What's so sad is that with all of the, the you know, trials I've been through in my childhood, it's very difficult. Um, my son's birthday is November 7th. And this, we got him something kind of special from his parents. And um, so when we went to his birthday, he got so many gifts. I just, as his dad, I couldn't handle my son getting one more gift. It was like just too much. So we actually have, have his present still wrapped. I've done exactly what, to my son, what I'm frustrated about. I've got 99 problems, and my birthday is one. All right, I got issues. And uh, but I, honestly, I, I don't, I, I for sure don't hate Christmas. I just don't approach it with like this un unwavering optimism, all right? Just let's... I mean, there's great things about Christmas, right? I mean, we, there's eggnog. 
they like start serving it in September. It's weird, but I won't drink it until at least December. And um, they got eggnog, right? And like in Florida, it gets um, cooler. Is that how we'd say it? I don't know. Like the humidity is not 110%. It's like 104 or something. It's, it's good. So we got that going for us. So then we're like pulling out our sweaters. And then we're still sweating, but we're like determined. And, uh, and then also there's Christmas plays, right? I mean, there's, there's like plays. And in fact, actually next week is our kids' Christmas special extravaganza bonanza 2.0, whatever we call it, right? And I got a picture of last year. This was our champions for God right here. They were so in it right there. You could just tell their passion and that's happening next week. And I just want to give a plug, invite your whole family and guilt trip them into coming to church next week. All right. Be like, you are a bad uncle. You're a bad titi if you do not get here, right? Because they won't come just for them, but they will come for your seven-year-old son. It's their niece and all that, right? So let's pack this place out next week, all right? But uh, yeah, Christmas plays. And I don't know if you know this, but yours truly actually, uh, I've uh, done a couple plays in my life. Uh, actually, I was kind of a, a big shot in, um, in elementary school. Big deal. Did multiple plays. In fact, actually, when I got into middle school and high school, I uh, I decided to try out for another another uh, you know play, and so I tried to get the main role. And what happened um, for the first time in my life, I didn't get the main part. In fact, I didn't get any part. I was asked to be a stagehand. Uh, I didn't. I, was like, I, I don't even know what that is. Where are my lines? Like I'm, I'm like I don't even know how to handle that. You know. And if, how many of y'all know what a stagehand is, right? Okay, so a stagehand is somebody, they're not the main character. They don't get a main part. They don't do like a real big bow. They're actually in the background, like, and all they do is they set the scene for the main character. And I, I felt like, I, I just felt like God dropped this in my heart and this analogy into us as we're looking at Luke chapter 1. Because I think if we don't watch it as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can misplace our position in God's grand play called life. If we don't watch it, we can think that we are the center of the stage and that God is supposedly setting up the scene for us. And I think we all can take a lesson from the life of John the Baptist because John did not see himself as the main character in fact, John saw himself more as a stagehand, setting up the scene for the main character. In fact, Luke chapter 1 sets up the scene for Luke chapter 2, which is where Jesus is introduced to the world. Could we be Luke 1 people? Might we be a Luke 1 church? where we approach our Christmases, our businesses, our marriages, our, our, our challenges, and we would approach them with saying, instead of God, I'm going to take center stage. God, I'm going to approach this thing, but I'm going to take the background. I'm going to, I'm going to actually, how, God, how can I set the scene for you to move? Because here's the truth. You can't do what your marriage needs to be done in your own power. You can't save your marriage. You can't save your soul. In fact, as long as you are the center of your stage, you can only go as far as you can go. But if we allow Jesus to become the center of our stage, we can go as far as he can go. He's overcome death. He's overcome the grave. He's overcome disease. He's overcome challenges. And you can too, but not when you're the center of the stage. 
The truth is, your marriage does not need more of you. Your marriage needs more of him working through you. The truth is, your, your, your family does not need more of you. Your family needs more of him working through you. Your business does not need more of you. Your coworkers need to see more of him working through you. Which means we must, not might, we must see ourselves as stagehands allowing Jesus to take center stage. John saw himself as a stagehand. And listen to what, you don't have to turn there. You can stay at Luke chapter one. We'll put it up on the screen. But look at what Luke 7, 28 says. Jesus says this about John. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. In other words, Jesus thought very highly of John the Baptist. Now, let's slip over. Let me give you another passage here. Luke chapter three, verse 16. Look how John thinks of himself. All right? They're asking him, there are people around asking John about baptism. And this is what he says. He says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and a fire. In other words, John is saying, I can't even wear his shoes. He's so much greater than me. And if you're not sure whether John actually saw himself as a stagehand, I don't think there's a more clear picture of that than in John chapter 3, verse 30. Can we put it up on the screen? He says, he, being Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. In other words, John seemed to dedicate his life where he was, for the rest of his days, he simply wants to get less out of, more out of the way, less at the center, and letting Jesus be the center of it all. I want to give you just a few thoughts today from this text in Luke chapter 1, verse 14. First of all, if you're taking down any notes, John was full of the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 15. What's amazing and miraculous about this story is that he was full of the Holy Spirit before he was even born. Now, let me be clear. You are not full of the Holy Spirit before you're born. You're full of something. But you ain't full of the Holy Spirit before you're born. This was uncanny. This was divine. This was miraculous. Here's the point. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me make that even more personal. You need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. We do not need less of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, let's eagerly desire those spiritual gifts. Let's, let's long for them. Let's, let's desire this walk with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do I receive? How do I get more of the Holy Spirit? It is not complicated. It's as simple as coming to Christ. You simply ask Jesus to fill you with his Holy Spirit. It's not, we, we receive his Holy Spirit the same way that we receive salvation. And you know what? Paul would even go on to say that we would be refilled with the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, it's not just enough to uh, receive the Holy Spirit once, but on a daily basis. This is why spending time with Jesus and in his presence is not just needed on Sunday. It's needed every single day of the week. Because as long as you're on the stage, you can't quite do what God's calling you to do. And listen, your marriage doesn't need just to get more, just to get better. You can go find self-help books to do that. You need a transformation in your life. And I want to challenge you today as one of the pastors here. Go after God. You need a spiritual transformation in your life. And if you haven't thought that way in a while, I encourage you, I implore you today to go deeper with the things of God. Let's not, we don't need less of God. We need more of him. We don't need less passion on Sunday morning. We need more passion towards God and what he's doing and and who he is in our lives. We need more of his Holy Spirit. So I encourage you today, let's approach the Holy Spirit with vigor. Secondly, John is never to take wine or fermented drinks. Now, I I wanted to talk about this just for 60 seconds because this may may be the most misunderstood part of this text. So I figured I I would explain it, give my take on it at least. This phrase is very similar to the Nazarite vow we see in Numbers chapter six. And in the Nazarite vow in number six, it's not only that you don't take fermented drinks, it's like you don't cut your hair. There's a bunch of things. And basically the idea is that God has, a, God has something special on you and you need to consecrate yourself. The word is consecrate. You set yourself, you devote, you guard, you cherish this devotion to God. Now, you may be asking, so in order to be a John the Baptist, are you saying that I need to not drink wine and fermented drinks? Technically, the answer to that question is No. But spiritually, yes. Let me explain. Here's my take on this passage. Jesus has anointed John with a special anointing and grace of God. Can I stop for a moment? And I wish I could look every one of you in the eye. Jesus has anointed you. He has favored you. You are anointed by God. He's got a purpose and a plan that you can't even imagine. And, and I, I think the expectation here was that John would guard, would honor, would cherish this filling of the Holy Spirit in his life. So do you need to technically either drink, fermented drink or not? No, but spiritually, yes. And here's what I mean by this. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn God's grace, but you should honor God's grace. We should guard his presence. We should be, right? And so I encourage you today, cherish the work of God. Do you know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? We can grieve him. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be a church that grieves the Holy Spirit. I want to be full of his presence. And I hope part of that is that we would guard. We would honor this thing that God is doing in us. Number three is this. John brought a message of repentance. You say, what is repentance? It's to change the way we think towards God. The best way I can say it is that you're living one way, you're living for yourself, and then you do a 180 degree turn and you start living towards God. 
It doesn't mean that you're not sometimes going to look back, even though scripture would tell you not to look back. It, it doesn't mean that you're not going to waver. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes, but it means that, but repentance is simply turning towards God in our mind and our body and our heart and our soul. We turn towards him. John preached a message of repentance. Well, how do we know that? Well, John was called John the Baptist. Do you know why he was called John the Baptist? He didn't get up one day and say, good morning, everybody. I officially now want to be called John the Baptist. All right, he didn't do that. What happened is that he was baptizing so many people that he got this nickname, John the Baptist. You know what was happening? You know what baptism is? It's an outward symbol of an inward decision. And he was he was living his life in a way that people around him started changing their way, their thinking about God. How powerful is that? The way he approached his life, people just got around him and they felt the need to publicly profess and confess their sin before God. And I want to tell you just a little quick announcement. Next week, we're having our final baptism of 2017. And I encourage you with everything in me, don't let the ball drop and go into 2018 if you have not made that decision to put Jesus the Lord of your life. And if you have made that decision in your heart, find a connection card. You can fill out one of these, drop it in the offering bucket. Uh, you can go outside, just yell out, I want to get baptized in a lobby as loud as you can. Somebody will find it. No, I'm just playing. You can go online, talk to any one of our volunteers. There are many ways you can do that. Sign up, show up. We want to get you baptized next week and celebrate with you. It's going to be exciting. We see more of this uh, repentance thing when, when, uh, when we see even the, the words of he goes in the spirit of Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of parents towards children and children towards parents. That's the, that's the language of repentance. That, in other words, they weren't just doing life when John got around. When he got around, there seemed to be this transformation that was happening in people's lives. And I pray to God, I was praying this week, that that spirit of Elijah would drop on you. That that spirit of John the Baptist, that spirit of Jesus, that Holy Spirit that filled him, that there was just a tangible difference when people get around you this Christmas season. And I don't mean self-righteousness. Self-righteousness uh, derails people. It keeps people away. I'm not talking about self-righteousness. I'm talking about humility. I'm talking about when we're behind and we're praying, we're loving, we're embracing. I tell people all the time, we fight with prayer and we win with love. We don't, we don't fight all the other stuff. We fight with prayer and we win with love, right? And so I just encourage you today to be a part of that. Number four, John made ready a people prepared for the Lord. All of this sets up where John, his mission and mandate was to make ready a people prepared for God. John knew he couldn't save anybody. And can I tell you something? You can't save anybody. In fact, John, even though he was so great, he himself needed a savior. And you do too. He seemed to gladly set the scene. He seemed to gladly be a person. He was fine with being a stagehand. So what does this mean for us? Just real quick, let me just give a few examples how we can, how we can live this out. Dad, next time you go hang out with your son, before you hang out with your son, would you take a moment and just say, God, you get center stage in this as I hang out with him today. What, how can I approach this where I'm not the center, but I'm going to set the scene for you to be the center. As you are approaching Christmas dinners and lunches and all the stuff that you're going to do with staff, maybe at your work or whatever, 
Before we walk in that room, can we just, you know, we have a value. It's our very first value that we pray first. Let us be people of quick, just be quick to pray. God, before I go on this date with my wife, before I, before I walk into this thing, how can I reposition myself before I walk in here? Or I'm not the center of this thing, but you are. Listen, it doesn't mean you're not going to talk. It doesn't mean they're not going to think you're funny. It doesn't mean that you're not going to stop being you, but you know and deep in your heart and your spirit, okay, I might be telling a joke right now. This might be funny. I might be telling a story about me, but the truth is I'm, I'm doing everything I can to set the scene for him in our lives. So what does this mean? It simply means this, that we would take our stage I mean, everything on your stage, your, your, your finances, your, your, your health, your, your, your ambitions, your dreams, your agenda, your relationships, your job, your influence. I mean, every, we would take it all, we would take our stage, and we would gladly go ahead and walk away from being the center, and we simply say, God, you get center stage with everything that I am and everything that I want to hope to become. And I gladly take the background. Yeah, I can play the background. Yeah, I can play the background. Cause I know sometimes I get in the way. So won't you take lead, lead, hey. So won't you take lead, lead, hey. So I can play the background, the background. And you can take the lead. Yo, it's evident you run this show, so let me back down. You can take that leading role, and I'll play the background. I mess up all my cues. I mess up all my lines. I'm sticking to the script, but I'm reading all your signs. I don't need no labor lights. I don't need no starter role. And why get a whole world if I'm going to lose my soul? And then my words, they living up to what's your living word. I can't endure this life without your wisdom being heard. So word, so every dancer is a pop star and we all have a background but mine's a rock star yeah so if you need me i'll be stage right praying this whole world go embrace the stage fright let me go and fall back stop giving my suggestions because when i follow my obsessions i end up confession that i don't own possessions and i tell them who we are a trailer star does lead it to a superstar so i can play the background yeah, I, I can, can play, play the background Cause I know sometimes I get in the way So won't you take lead, 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 lead hey lead. So won't you take lead, 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 hey lead. So I can play the background, the background And you can take the lead